0: subject tonight is the fall of babylon when saddam hussein was the president of um, iraq he had it in mind that he would rebuild the ancient city of babylon located about 100 kilometers i think southwest of um, baghdad and so he attempted or initiated a building project and like the ancient king Nebuchadnezzar, who built the fabulous old city of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Sorry, Saddam Hussein, who was sort of s- styling himself as a modern Nebuchadnezzar, even had brickwork or bricks uh, manufactured that had his name stamped into them, and he did that because that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. The archaeologists have found oodles of bricks in ancient Babylon that had the name Nebuchadnezzar stamped on them. So Saddam Hussein was going to rebuild this colossal city, this great city, but might have wanted to realize that what he was actually doing was attempting the impossible. He was never going to be able to do this. The reason that we know that is because of what the Bible says. In Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 3, God says, For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. God's talking about ancient Babylon. He said in Jeremiah 50 and verse 13, she, Babylon, shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly, completely desolate. Ancient Babylon was the mighty kingdom that came and crushed conquered old Israel, destroyed Jerusalem. And even though it was destroyed, even though the Bible says that Babylon cannot, will not possibly be rebuilt, try to get this, try to get this contradiction and we'll figure out that it's not, even though that the Bible says Babylon will not be rebuilt, it's gone, gone, gone. When you read in the New Testament, you discover that Babylon is back. How can this be if God says no more Babylon, but in Revelation chapter 14 and in other places... We read about Babylon. Well, it's in the final gospel message to go to the world. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, we read that another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's back in Revelation. But why? Remember, the book of Revelation, 404 verses in 22 chapters, Quotes extensively from the Old Testament. Extensively. John wrote in signs and symbols in the book of Revelation. Where did he get them? He got them from the book of Revelation so that anybody who read this New Testament book but was familiar with the Old Testament would say, oh, I get you. Oh, I know what he means here. Oh, sure, Babylon. We know what he's saying when he mentions Babylon. Sure, we do. When he wrote about Babylon having fallen his readers would have said, yep, we know that has happened before. When did it happen? Let's go back to the time of the prophet Daniel. Tensions between the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians came to a head one night as the Babylonian king Belshazzar was partying in his palace. We read in Daniel 5, starting off in verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lord had to be quite the party and drank wine in the presence of the thousand while he tasted the wine belshazzar gave the command to bring now notice this this is a lengthy passage i'm reading to you but for good reason you got to see what was going on then when you understand what went on there you'll understand what's going to go on a little way into the future he gave the command to bring something to bring what He commanded them to bring the gold and silver vessels, which ones? Which his father, actually grandfather, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. We all know that granddaddy went down to Jerusalem, destroyed the place and stole all these beautiful vessels out of the temple. Bring them out. What do you want them for? Bring them out so that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now you want to talk about blasphemy. These were the holy vessels designed by God, created to be used in the worship of God, the Most High God. And here's this mongrel saying, bring them out of the treasury so we can drink booze out of them in praise of the devil. Oh my goodness, that was bold. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Ooh, If you were God, you might have been offended by that. And if you were dealing with a kingdom that had been doing nothing but offending you and offending you and offending you and offending you, you might get to the place where you say, I am just about done with you. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Can you imagine this, this this, this, this bloodless hand appearing from out of the invisible sleeve of darkness? You'd be terrified too. And the Bible says the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, the writing was on the wall for King Belshazzar. He was terrified. As a matter of fact, in that same chapter, it says that his knees started knocking together. That's how scared he was. The writing was on the wall. Ooh, God was saying, we're done with you, man. You have had opportunity, you have had opportunity. And don't get me wrong, this isn't God saying, I'm kind of sick of you. This is God saying, I've given you opportunity. You know Nebuchadnezzar was convert- converted. So God is dealing with this guy saying, I'm giving you time, I'm giving you time. Uh, no, you passed the point of no return, very obviously. The writing was on the wall and they said, who is going to interpret this writing on the wall? Who? Well, Daniel came out to interpret the writing on the wall, and he said, O king. Now, again, it's, it's a lengthy passage, but it's important that we internalize this. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father. I say he was his grandfather. The Bible says he was his father. But in that culture, father, grandfather, all the same. I remember being in one country where uh, an old man wanted me to meet his son like a Almost an infant. And I thought, your name's not Abraham, is it? <laughs> this is my son. Meet my son. My grandson. Son, a, a grandson is a son. So here the Bible uses the word father when it means grandfather. The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. Do you remember that story? Is this not great Babylon which I have built? And God afflicted him with Insanity. For seven years, he went out into the wilderness and ate grass like an ox. And at the end of that time, he kind of got it straight with God and he was restored. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. I don't want to stop every five seconds to add extra details, but I'm going to do this right now. So God brought this on Nebuchadnezzar for a purpose. What was the purpose? For the purpose of communicating to Nebuchadnezzar that there's a God in heaven. Hmm? Things happen in our lives. and, And sometimes, like I said earlier, sometimes a thing is just a thing. But there are times that things will come into our lives. And the reason God allows it is so that we'll look up. So that we'll develop faith in God trials come into your life to build your character and some trials you, you know if, if you fail them god will bring him back around again because he wants to grow you perhaps through the weaknesses that are in your life when trouble comes you ought to look for the hand of god not that god is inflicting the trouble on you but that through that trouble god is working working to grow you and develop you Nebuchadnezzar went mad, the purpose of that was so that he might come to his senses and recognize that there was a God to whom he was answerable. And it worked. Hey, if God is working in your life, if there's a difficulty there and you're saying, "Mm, maybe God is allowing this, how about letting God's purpose be worked out? That's why these things come, so that in all things, God's purposes can be worked out. But you, his son, grandson, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, You've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified so what was the writing on the wall for belshazzar it was mene mene tekel seen." yeah but what does it mean daniel thanks for telling us what it says but you know the drill what does it mean he told him this is the interpretation of each word mene It means that God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. It's over for you and for Babylon. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And this is the big one, really. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then the Bible says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years of age. In other words, Babylon had fallen. In the New Testament, you read Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city. And they read that, people who read it when John wrote it, when it was hot off the press, and they said, we get it. We know what this means. This is a fall of a kingdom for spiritual reasons. Spiritual reasons, Babylon fell. Why? Listen to this. They fell because they, well, they fell because of rebellion. Babylon fell because of an absolute persistence in yield and resisting to and failing to yield to the will of God. That's why Babylon fell. But what went on that precipitated Babylon's fall? What did the king do? He took the holy worship vessels. Those worship vessels which to be were to be used in the worship of almighty God Just cups, sure, but God said, this is my cup, and these are my vessels, and these are to be used in true worship, but they took them and used them in false worship of the worst kind, and they knew that they were doing wrong. They knew, oh, this is for the holy God, for holy worship. Yeah, let's use it for the devil, for false worship. They corrupted true worship and turned it into false worship. You see a parallel right here in the book of Revelation, where in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7, the Bible says that the angel says with a loud voice, "...fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth the sea and springs of waters." You see, this is a call in the end of time. Ladies and gentlemen, how much clearer can it be? It is a clear call, a resounding call in the end of time to true worship, not to false worship, not to, hey, I'll do it my way, thanks very much. But God is calling us to be his followers, his disciples, his people. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. What is that? It's a call to keep, observe and remember the seventh-day Sabbath. It is a quote directly from the Old Testament, where God said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days your labor, do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. It's a direct quote. John writing Revelation couldn't have been any more clear. Down here in the close of time, God calls us to remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. The message goes to the world. Everyone's going to hear and understand. It's why the angel is depicted. The angels are depicted as flying in the midst of heaven. Speaking with a loud voice. God wants the entire world to hear. Just as Belshazzar knew those things were holy. The world is going to know that the seventh day Sabbath is holy. And right after that, the message comes that Babylon is fallen. And we see this played out for us in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Two women are brought into view. And you read about the first woman in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now, you remember some of our symbols. In Bible prophecy, a day represents a... That's good. A beast represents a... A nation, or well, let me test you now. Uh, 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 winds, do you remember what wind represents? Strife. That's right. You 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 got the next one right. You can read my mind, evidently, and that's interesting. Uh, water represents multitudes of. That's it. Those are the symbols. Here's another one. In Bible prophecy, a woman symbolically represents a church. Now, that doesn't mean that every woman you read about in the Bible represents a church. But in prophetic writing, a woman is frequently used to symbolize a church. And here in Revelation 12, you see the Christian church down through the ages. But you see, there's this second woman later on, and she's in Revelation chapter 17. Now, look at what the Bible says about her. Again, it's a lengthy passage, but you're okay with that. It says, starting in chapter uh, verse 1 of Revelation 17, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So this is a woman, but this is an immoral woman, an impure woman, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet colored beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written. Look at this. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement or the King James says, wondered with great admiration. So who is this? This is the one of whom Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 8. It was a system that would cast the truth down to the ground. So, if a woman represents a church, that first woman represented the Christian church. She was clothed with the moon. And the, or rather the moon under her feet, clothed with the sun. This was, this was a pure natural beauty. But in Revelation chapter 17, this woman is the opposite. She is impure. So not a pure church, but an impure church. And the Bible calls her Babylon. Now, why is that? Where did the word come from? Remember the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, they said, let us make us a name. That's interesting. Let us make a name for ourselves and build a tower that reaches up to heaven. We get to heaven our own way. God said, this isn't going to work. If I don't do something, the whole world is going to go down the drain. So we confused the languages so people had to separate out. This concentration of people was counterproductive. He confused the languages. Therefore, it was called Babylon because that word Babylon means what? Confusion. What God is telling us here in the book of Revelation is that the world is in confusion. Let me put it a little more directly. The church is in confusion when it comes to the word of God. Now, Babylon makes the world drunk with the wine of her fornication, with her doctrine, with her teaching, with the way she educates but miseducates the world. So how has this system Babylon confused the world? I'll give you two reasons. There are certainly others. When Martin Luther came on the scene, he said, no, no, you can't be selling salvation. You can't be asking people to give money so they can have their sins forgiven. That was one of the things he railed against. Martin Luther said, you can't be teaching people that salvation is by works and penances. The Bible says justification is by faith. So that's, that's one thing, or two things. But we've discussed another couple of, a couple of them out here, major teachings by which the mother church has confused the world and led the world away from what the Bible says. Now, if the, if, if this one is a mother, And she is a mother of harlots. These would be women. She is a mother that has daughters. The mother church has daughter churches. What's God saying about the churches down in the close of time? You know something? We've discovered that in the Bible, the Bible speaks very clearly about what happens when you die. But we all know that the mother church teaches something very different. And it's the mother church that taught the daughter churches this doctrine. And that's why... Pretty well every church you look at today is going to tell you that when you die, you're not dead. And that's a real problem. Now, again, you might say, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference, especially in earth's last days when you've got people believing the dead are alive. In Revelation chapter 16, you read about three unclean spirits like frogs that go out to deceive the people in the world. These unclean spirits prepare people for what the Bible refers to as the battle of Armageddon. They deceive the whole world on the subject. But what does the word of God say? The word of God says the living know that they will die, but the dead know not anything. It was the church of Rome that introduced the false teaching into Christianity of the immortality of the soul, teaching you that when you die, you're not dead, but your soul goes on living. That's not true. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about it and actually again and again and again and again teaches against it. Listen, there's going to be a massive spiritualistic manifestation down at the close of time. Are people getting sucked into that right now? Are people being prepared for that right now? You know they are. You know that we have top rated television programs where you talk to the spiritualist who will put you in touch with your dead grandmother. And now because the dead grandmother through the spiritualist told you things that only grandma knew, You now believe that grandma's actually alive when she's actually dead. Imagine the devil using grandma to bring you a message that counters the teaching of the Bible. This is what will happen in the last days. Spiritualistic manifestations that deceive the world. This is why it matters, because the devil is preparing people to be swept away. The movie comes out, oh, it's so tragic, the wife dies. Oh my goodness, whose heart wouldn't be broken about that? That's awful. But it's Okay. Because the wife comes back from the dead and communicates with the husband. you want to believe that. you want to believe that. We want to believe that our loved ones are in heaven enjoying God's presence now. We want to believe that. Except the Bible says that that's not the case. Remember that verse we looked at? The dead praise not the Lord. That's how clear it is. Neither any that go down into silence is really clear. God appeals to us to be clear on this. Otherwise we're going to be swept away before Jesus comes back. The devil has it planned. He has planned this. He is working on this. You understand what do the wise men say? The dead don't know anything. So it was the mother church, the church of Rome that brought this into Christianity. But now the daughter churches are teaching it as well. So about every funeral you go to, you've been told to be happy. Happy? The person is dead. Happy because they're in heaven smiling down on you. No, you don't even want them smiling down on you. You want to say, keep your nose out of my business. I have some personal things to do right now. You don't want them in heaven looking down on their spouse who has Alzheimer's, looking down on the son who got executed by a gang because a drug deal went wrong. That wouldn't be heaven. The Bible is very clear. The dead sleep. It's clear they sleep, but the mother church and her daughters have brought the world into spiritual confusion. It's confusing when someone reads the Bible and says, Sleep, 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 sleep. Yeah, but my dad is in heaven. That's confusing, and God wants us to be unconfused. Now let's look at the second tenet, major tenet of Babylon, spiritual confusion in earth's last days. A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink also of the wine of the wrath of God. We have discovered what the mark of the beast's authority is. The word beast is not an insult. When the Bible says beast, that's a symbol, as you told me before, it represents a nation or a kingdom, but a nation. And so this beast, this nation we've identified, has a mark, a distinguishing mark or characteristic. What is the mark of that nation? And remember what that nation is. That nation is the little horn. It is the Vatican City. Martin Luther said so. John Wesley said so. John Knox said so. John Calvin said so. Roger Williams said so. Melanchthon said so. Jerome said so. Huss said so. They all said so. Reformers over hundreds of years. That's why there was a reformation because the mother church was antichrist. And there was a reformation. We've forgotten that. We've forgotten our history. It hurts when you forget your history. And so they said, this is who it is. This is the mother church. This is the Antichrist. This is the beast. What is the mark of the authority of the beast? What does the nation itself say? This is our mark. Listen, Carl Keating wrote, fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday. Yet there's no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. Did you hear that? No evidence. The Jewish Sabbath or day of arrest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. Now, if you're okay with that, if you think it's okay that someone can change the Bible and have you disobey God instead of obey God, if you're fine with that, then you're fine with that. But if you're a Christian who believes that the Bible is above the word of man and that we ought to obey the word of God and that Christ's will is paramount and we ought to honor God, then you'll look at that and you say, whoa, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, Cardinal Gibbons, what do you say? Cardinal Gibbons says, reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these two alternatives. Either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday, or Catholicity and the keeping holy of Sunday. He said, compromise is impossible. He said, if you're keeping Sunday, you're a Catholic, just be a Catholic. If you want to follow the Bible, you're a Protestant, be a Protestant then. That's what the message of the church was. Remember what God said? He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the Bible says that all the world wandered after the beast. And now we know how. By accepting something in place of the will of God and saying, we'll do that and we won't follow God. That's how the church of Rome has led people to follow it, rather than god that's how the enemy of souls has got people good people sincere people well-meaning people but he, he's turned their feet out of the path of faithfulness like i said before we shouldn't even need to have this conversation i am god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage have no other gods before me amen no graven images okay that's been complicated but amen uh don't take god's name in vain sure Honor your father and your mother. Sure. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Yes, we agree. Now let's come back to one. Remember the Sabbath day. All right. Seventh day is the Sabbath. No. Excuse me. What happened here? The Bible says, "Thus, seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. It's not about... Working your way to heaven—it's not about being under an old covenant. It's about loving God. I, I, I took some vows uh, 24 years ago, almost. You know, I was just thinking about my wedding anniversary, and I remembered the day. And then I thought about the year, 1995. I said, no, I must be mistaken. I've not been—I've not been married almost 25 years. And I started to do this thing in my mind: Has it been that long? It can't have been that long. I said to my wife, "Have we really been married almost 24 years?" Time flies. But 23 and a half years ago, I stood in a, up the front in a little church, uh, medium-sized church, and I said, I will keep myself only for you. That was a vow for richer, for poorer. We hadn't had to worry too much about the richer. <laughs> in sickness and in health. We had a little bit of both of that. Forsaking all others. So you know, of course, on my wedding night, <clears throat> my wife was uh, my wife was there. <laughs> I was sitting on the end of the bed with my cell phone. She said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Have you have you seen this app? <laughs> it is wicked." What app? I said, "Tinder." <laughs> have you seen Tinder? What? What the world? I said, you just swipe right. If you like him, you swipe right. If you don't like him, you just, uh, uh, you just don't swipe. And she'd be like, what? What? No, girls. Girl, I, can just, I can just pick them up like this. If they like my profile. Wife was like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, the night is still young. And maybe later, maybe later we can go out. She looks nice. Yes or no? Hey, 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 hey. Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'm hoping you weren't considering it there for a minute. That's unthinkable. If I said yes or no, my wife be the first. No. Not that I need to be told. No. When, when you give your life to a person, there's some guidelines here. There's some ground rules here. You want it to be that way. I don't I don't want to get married to a woman and then find out, you know, two months from now, oh, uh, I'm going off for the weekend because my old boyfriend has invited me. You don't want that, right? There are some vows you make. When you come to God, there are some vows you make. The vow is you'll be my God and I'll be yours. That's it. I will follow you. And so when you get to the commandments of God, these things aren't up for grabs. It's very clearly delineated in the Bible. The seventh day, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill. It's very clear. Why do we treat one commandment as though it's different from the other? Do we love God 90% of the time? Or will we accept God's authority 90% of the time? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that God has 10 commandments and now we find out how, how it's possible that all the world would wonder after the beast. All the world, all the world. Let me read to you something that Father John O'Brien wrote in a book called The Faith of Our Fathers. I have a copy of this book. But since Saturday and not Sunday is specified in the Bible, Father O'Brien said, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Yes, he said, Of course, it is inconsistent, but the change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born. They have continued to observe custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the church and not upon an explicit text in the Bible. That observance remains the reminder of the mother church from which all non-Catholic sects broke away, like a boy running from his mother but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. God's plan, however, is to call his people out of Babylon, out of false worship and out of false teaching. He did it once before. He called his people out of Babylon, called them to the promised land so that they could worship him in spirit and in truth, so that they wouldn't be under the dominion and affected by paganism and false teaching. It would have been crazy for people to stay in Babylon, this heathen false worship center. Absolutely crazy. But many people did. you know why they did? They stayed in Babylon, some of them, because, you know, it's all I've ever known. I, I grew up here. They stayed there because they had trades. They'd made friends. They felt comfortable. What an inconvenience going all the way back to Jerusalem. Let's stay here in Babylon. Why would you stay in Babylon instead of going to where God wants you to be and enjoying God's blessings there? You know, the Bible says the same thing will happen down in the close of time. The angel has a message for the world, and the message is Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city. And you wonder, maybe I should just stay in Babylon. You know what I've had people say to me lots of times? I'm just going to stay in my church I know they don't teach the Bible properly, but I'm going to stay. Why? Because I will change my church. Did Jesus try to change his church? I mean, really? He did really. Was he successful? Martin Luther didn't intend to try to change his church, but he realized that he was on a course opposite to his church. The church wasn't going to change, so Luther moved on. Why is it so dangerous to decide that what you are going to do is stay in Babylon and refuse to come out and worship God in spirit and in truth? I want to show you this. This is in the book of Revelation and I will read if you have a device or a Bible, turn to Revelation 18. Revelation 18. So God speaks about it in Revelation 14 and he doubles back around and he goes over this ground in Revelation 18. There's a fourth angel. There are the three angels in Revelation 14, and then a fourth angel. So what does this new angel, this fourth angel, say? Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Why would God say this? Because she persists in falsehood, even though I have endeavored to correct her again and again and again, show her the word of God, she just persists in falsehood. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. It's not good. And so this angel then says, God then says in verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. I want you to notice God says something very, very interesting. He says... Come out of her. Now, I know it's common for people to say, I'll stay where I am. I know the truth. And so I'll just know the truth, but stay where I am. And I understand, man, you've got family connections. You've got friends. Oh, some of the nicest people in the world, John. They ought to be nice. They're Christians. It doesn't surprise me for one moment. Oh, and the teaching is so good. No, no, no. We've agreed it's not so good. There's just some good things about it. And they're so friendly. Yeah, Of course, they're friendly. And we have wonderful programs. Yes, we do. And my grandparents are buried out in the church cemetery just over the back fence. All right. They don't know where they're buried. They're just sleeping someplace. But what does God say? He says, come out of her. But notice what he says. He says, come out of her, my people, my people. Now, here's what we know for sure. The fact that some people haven't known doesn't mean they're not God's people. You know what I mean? There are people who believe all kinds of strange stuff, worship all kinds of strange ways, believe all sorts of oddball doctrines. That doesn't disqualify them for being one of God's people. So no one's talking about spiritual superiority here. No one's saying, if you don't believe my way, you've got to be lost. If you don't do like I do, then you're not a follower of God. No, that's not. No, we don't believe that at all. Some people simply did not know the dead are asleep. Some did not know that their bodies are the temple. Some did not know that the seventh day is the Sabbath. Some were told it's been changed and they they didn't check. Many did not know that we're living in the time of heaven's final judgment. I understand that. But here's what God does. He sends a warning message. A warning message because God is a God of love. And he sends a loud warning message. The angel says, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. And God says, I've got a plan for you. Don't stay there. Instead, come out of Babylon. Don't receive the plagues. Did you notice what we read? The people who persist in this and refuse to repent end up receiving the seven last plagues. God says, don't receive the mark of the beast. Don't go on breaking God's law. And man, it's so important to understand it like this. Don't go on breaking God's heart. He loves you and he calls you to follow him and simply yield your heart to him and say, God, it's, it's, it's your heart, not mine. This is, this is Elijah's message for earth's last days, God's message for today. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're making the best decision you can make. When you take steps towards God and his word, you don't, you don't want to turn back. You don't. Don't let Satan tempt you to turn back. When God led you to the drum and you started walking towards the drum, you were taking steps to God. And God's hope was that you wouldn't turn around and walk away from the truth that is Christ. Walk away from the truth that is in the Bible. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, out of there. Get your family out of there. Lot, You and your family go and don't look back. Mrs. Lot looked back because her heart was in those wicked cities. She was turned into a pillar of salt. She wouldn't come out. Her heart was still there. Elijah's message. There was a time that Elijah was up on Mount Carmel. It hadn't rained in forever. And the prophets of Baal were so numerous and they were so insistent and so stubborn. And Elijah said, let's settle it. Let's determine whose God is the true God. You all set up an altar, offer a sacrifice, and, and then pray. And if God sends down fire from heaven in answer to your prayer, if your God does, if Baal sends fire down, then Baal's the true God. Done. But if that doesn't happen, I will set up an altar and I will pray to the God of heaven. And if that God sends fire down from heaven, then that God is the true God. And they set up their altar and they cut themselves so that blood flowed and they called out. And Elijah says, where is your God? Maybe he's deaf. deaf. Maybe he has a pursuit." Is he on vacation? What's going on? Elijah was a bit of a comedian, evidently. And they had to concede that Baal wasn't going to send fire from heaven. And Elijah set up an altar. And then, man, when he put the sacrifice out, he doused it in water, which was a bold thing to do during a flood. He wanted people to know, there's no way I could set fire to this. There's no trickery involved here. He doused the entire thing with water. And then he prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. burn that whole thing up. Even the stones of the altar were burned up. And then Elijah appealed to the people. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow Baal. That's what God says to us tonight. Don't if, offer God half of your heart. Don't be one foot in and one foot out. Don't say, oh, yes, I believe this, but I'm I'm going to do this. Don't try and have it both ways. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. If the seventh day is the Sabbath, obey God. If it's not, do your own thing. If the Bible is true, believe the Bible. If it's not, make up what you want. Dance to the beat of your own drum. How long halt ye between two opinions? How long will you falter between two opinions? You know something? In Elijah's day, the people hadn't given up on God entirely. you know that? They were still happy to worship God. They were just mixing truth and error together. Having it both ways. They were mixing truth and error together. Sounds like today. People carry their Bibles to church. They're not obeying them. They pray to God and love God or claim to love God, but they haven't yielded their entire heart. God says, will you give me your heart? Will you give me your heart? I remember hearing an interesting story about a woman in England I was so looking forward to her holiday in Granada. Anybody know where Granada is, what country it's in? Spain, that's right. She was so looking forward to going to Granada. I'm not sure why Granada. But she was on the plane flying to Granada and she happened to turn to the lady next to her and say, I'm just so excited. I've always wanted to see Spain. Excuse me. The lady said, well, Spain. She said, yes, I'm going to Granada. And the woman sitting beside her said, ma'am, this plane's not going to Granada. It's going to Grenada. Grenada. The island of Grenada in the Caribbean is going to Grenada. Instead of Grenada, she went to Grenada. She went to the wrong place. Happens from time to time. It was a mix up with the travel agent. Went to the wrong place. When she discovered she was in the wrong place, though, she didn't just say, Hey, I'll stay here on the island. She figured it out and got out of there and went to the right place. My own experience, I discovered once that I was in the wrong place. I loved God, believed God, prayed to God. But I realized one day, I'm in the wrong place. How did I know that? Because what I was being taught did not measure with the word of God. Wasn't consistent. What would I do? Stay in the wrong place? Why would I do that? Some people stay in the wrong place because of fear of the unknown. If I just keep the status quo, how will God take care of me? If I don't do anything differently, uh, maybe my life won't be upended and everything will be smooth. Yeah, it'll be s- s- smooth sort of, but you'll have such regret and then it won't be smooth anymore. Because God calls you to surrender eh, your entire heart to him. Jesus said, Many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we've done wonderful things in your name. And Jesus says, Depart from me. The fact is, I never knew you. I never knew you. They thought they were okay, but the truth is they were self-deceived. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. He then said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When you hear the voice of Jesus, you have the privileged opportunity to follow him. And what does Revelation 14, 12 say? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Making a decision for Jesus is not a declaration of how good you are. It's a declaration that you know how good he is. And you trust him. I don't feel like I'm good enough to give my life to Jesus. No one's good enough. If you were good enough, you wouldn't need Jesus.